Welcome to Archetypes and the Planets, where Andre Carr and I, Bea Gonzalez, invite you to think metaphorically as we explore how we have collectively translated the map of the sky into our mythologies, religious systems, and personal psychology. Okay, so Andre, I thought we'd take a little bit of um, kind of a, I don't know, departure from the series uh, that we've been doing lately uh, to talk about Pluto's upcoming ingress into Aquarius in January of 2024. It already did its first ingress in March, and it was only there for a little while, but I thought we saw some themes that seemed to be showing up again. And then I started looking at you know some connections, and I thought we could talk about that because whenever a planet ingresses into a sign, you'd agree that that's a pretty important thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But Pluto, because of the nature of its 248-year orbit, has not been in Aquarius since the late 18th century. So this is a big deal. It's not, you know, the kind of little thing that happens um, every once in a while. And so when it went in March, I, I paid attention because one of the rules is that you want to know what what is happening at the moment that some, something makes its initial entry. So the one thing, if you remember going back to March, do you remember the explosion? I mean, it was crazy of talk about AI, right? And specifically mm-hmm. ChatGPT, we had all the open AI coming out and it was a big deal. And you notice how quieted down it came out and everybody was using ChatGPT and then somehow, you know, people still are using it clearly, but they, they, they talk about it quieted down and it's in the air again. And I think it's only going to get stronger if my putting together of this archetypal story makes sense. And I should say that this is one story that's going to come out of uh, Pluto Aquarius. Of course, there are many stories. I just thought we could investigate this particular one because I thought it was interesting. So I'm going to share my um I'm going to share this uh my screen so we to get us started uh where was the right here we are so there is the the Pluto ingress um into Aquarius it will be on uh 21st January 2024 uh about 8 8 a.m in in the east coast here I obviously but that moment one thing I noticed is the the zero zero degree point is kind of a big point because that's where J- Jupiter and Saturn met, if you remember, in that conjunction of 2020 that opened up that whole age of air. That was exactly where it was. So I'm wondering if there's any connection to that as well, right? That the fact that that zero degrees uh, point is getting primed again. And maybe there isn't. But I just noted that in December 21st, 2020, that is when Jupiter and Saturn met. And they meet every 20 years. But what was extraordinary is it is starting a, an almost 200-year cycle where they will be meeting every time in the air uh, element after meeting for 200 years approximately in Earth. So just noting that that, and if you remember that day, and this is, if you remember what happened, the Jupiter-Saturn uh, conjunction that day, that was, I think, the first time that they 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 actually, uh, the, the first mRNA shot was actually given to someone that day. There was, I remember it was a nurse and they showed it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that it's happening around that time because that could point to Pluto and Aquarius you know, bringing so, which is something I don't think I'm, I'm would be all that hard to understand. It, it would bring in, uh, uh, you know, some new ideas or new therapies and new medical innovation, which makes sense in a way because Aquarius is all about innovation. What, what do you make of that? You're saying that when Pluto entered Aquarius in 2020 this year, that they correlated with no, no, Jupiter Saturn when they oh the Jupiter Saturn back yeah, in the time yeah, back okay. in twenty twenty right December twenty first right. twenty twenty. I'm just noting that at that zero degree point, it started a major uh, cycle. When I obviously my big interest is in cycles, so that started a Jupiter Saturn uh, meeting 
um, mm-hmm. that's going to happen every 20 years in the air element after 20, you know, 200 years in the earth. And so that was always a big moment because you are bringing together two planets in a different element, but it was at that zero degree point. And I noticed that at that day was that first mRNA shot that, uh, that, you know, the, the vaccines really helped to, 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 um, solve the huge problem we had in in the world at that time. So I'm just wondering if one of the themes just from that perspective would be medical innovation. Um, And I I should also point out weirdly, um, it is the late uh, 18th century when Pluto's in Aquarius, the Jenner first uh, inoculates someone with cowpox. So the the smallpox vaccine has its origins back then as well. So just something to watch out because I do think we both probably agree that uh, Aquarius is a, a sign that is very much tied to innovation, right? Of all kinds. It is, yeah. Innovation and with the Jupiter-Saturn cycles, the one of the curiosities is that, I don't I think there were maybe a couple of exceptions, but I know one exception was the 1980 when they were in Libra, which is also air, within that Earth cycle period with all, most of them are on Earth. Right. I know that one was there. Were there any others or is that the only one? No, no. What happens with Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions is they will, there's this weird thing where they conjunct in one element and then there is kind of like a a weird thing where you get a taste of the coming element, which is what happened from 1980 to 2000. And you notice that in that period, we developed the first period with Saturn, you're developing the hardware. And then the second uh, part of that period, you developed, you know, the, the World Wide Web comes up. So you, you see innovation at a huge level between. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that so that the air, Jupiter, Saturn and air uh, signs uh, connects to that, which is what what happened because the 80 to 2000 was the the computers and the World Wide Web software, everything, the Apple, uh, you know, breakthroughs came out of that as well. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as far as the Pluto and the uh, the connection to innovation, and the uh, vaccines as well, because vaccines, if you look at Pluto discovery in the 1930s, that's when they really came online as well right. as, as a factor. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and then AI, you know, Aquarius, I mean, if you're looking for a sign to c- correlate to computers, you would probably pick Aquarius. This is where I depart a little bit or maybe a lot from, I know in some systems of astrology, they don't want to assign co-rulerships of Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. I think Uranus, Neptune, Pluto do fit really well with their co-rule signs. And Uranus with Aquarius, to me, makes a lot of sense. I used to resist that until it hit me why. It's a, a the sign of democracy also. I think about Aquarius as the sign of democracy. So yes, it makes a lot of sense that uh, what you said earlier, Pluto, you get the AI discussions early in the year, right. and then the odds that they resume, we're already starting to get oh, yeah. quite a few uh, lead-ins, but yeah, that it would resume in a big way right. in, in January. Yeah, that makes a lot of right. sense. Lot I, of sense. On, on the issue of the of the um, the idea of attributing or having um, Uranus be the, the kind of the co, um, I'm trying to, I'm, trying to <laughs> I'm losing that word. What's the word I'm looking for? Co-ruler or association too. So yeah. I think if you're looking at a personal chart, it makes sense to have Saturn because to, Uranus spends way too long in, in a period. So it kind of depersonalizes the, the, the rulership of that for that particular natal time. But that it has a flavor? Absolutely. There's no way you can. Well, well I can tell you though that doing, having done lots and lots of uh, personal charts, yes, Saturn is the first ruler. No question. And you'll see 
events and important psychological patterns when the Uranus does what it's doing and its connection to Aquarius in that chart. That I can bear. Interesting. Well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what yeah. astrologers should do is never. I'm of the Jungian uh, viewpoint that it's both and, it's not either or, right? So exactly. you have to keep looking at it. It's ridiculous not to. Okay, so just going back to, so that's what we're talking about today, this moment in time when we get uh, Pluto ingressing back into Aquarius after it did that very briefly for a couple months in March. All right, so what drew my attention, I'm going to sort of take in a little tour is, you might wonder with who this guy is. And this guy is named uh, Jeremy Bentham. Uh, the reason I, the way I discovered him is not by studying him directly, but I went to, to as you know, I did my, my master's in England at the University of London. And the University College is one of the colleges at the University of Lon uh, London. It's the first one that was actually um, created. And Bentham kind of was associated with, he was an, he was an atheist. And, and the University of London was basically created as, at the beginning, as a pushback against uh, Oxford and Cambridge because they were really religious, et cetera. But what's interesting about him is he's way ahead of his time, just completely ahead of his time. So he's born in the mid uh, 18th century, and he is fighting for animal rights. He's fighting for human rights. He's fighting against slavery. I mean, this is the thing that was so completely crazy in terms not today, but if you look at position him and the time that he comes from, he's so ahead of the game, you know, thinking. But he's most known for something called utilitarianism, which is it is the greatest happiness of the greatest number that is the measure of right and wrong, which is very Aquarius to me, okay? If I think about that, I think that is that is the thing. Now, I, I just, this is just as an aside, that auto icon is him mummified. And one of the big jokes when we were at the University, University of London is that he asked them to mummify him after he died and put him there and that he was to be taken out and uh you know at any in any meeting he was to be seated there and be recorded as an extension he had quite the sense of humor so it's actually his body he had somebody actually got a shalom anyway it's a crazy story uh, it, it turns out he was only taken out for one meeting in 2013 but uh it, it was one of these things you did if you went to if you were a graduate student there you would go look at the at the this this auto icon it's called of uh, of Jeremy Bentham but what i really want to point out is because i think there's a connection to this theory, this philosophy, and what we're seeing today with AI, okay? So just keep that. And I just want to bring Jeremy Bentham. We do not have, obviously, a time for Jeremy Bentham, but just I just want to just want you to notice look at his look at the stellium he has in Aquarius, including Ernest in Aquarius, if you're going to go by by the fact that he, it's a, in his, you know, in the, one of the signs associated with uh, uh, with Aquarius. But he's got Jupiter, he's got Mercury, he's got the sun pretty heavily weighted towards Aquarius, right? So this is a man who was exemplifying way ahead of his time, which is, I think, one of the things we associate with, with Aquarius, the idea that we are thinking in levels that most people are not understanding yet. What's interesting is if you go uh, and you go to see the one of the books that he, the, what the, the, the seminal work that he published was, I don't know the exact date, but I put it to his birth date, 1789. You notice that by then Pluto was actually in Aquarius. So it had moved into Aquarius. And right. you're just keep this in mind. 1789 is French Revolution. It's uh, the American Revolution has just happened. The Industrial Revolution is going on. We're really talking about a complete reworking. And that's interesting to me because you would think, well, Uranus should have been in Aquarius. Well, it's actually not. It's Pluto that has come up there and just completely revolutionized, as you say, things like democracy, things like rights, things like, uh, well, even, and this is where I think that there is, the, the, you can tie in Saturn and time. One of the things that sticks out to me is that by 1792, you actually have the revolutionary government in France say, 
we're not using the same calendars. We're inventing a new time system. And they threw out the old calendars. You know, suddenly you had to call a month Thermidor. Anyway, it didn't last clearly because it was not adopted by everybody else. But you get a real revolutionary kind of thinking, you know, which is why mm-hmm. I'm linking it to Bentham. All right. So I was the reason I started thinking about this is what is going on right now, which has not been resolved, is there's a huge fight at OpenAI. They kicked out the founder, Sam Altman, and we're in the middle of this. So I don't know how it's going to 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 result. But we're going to look at uh, two two charts here, his and Sam Samuel Bankman Freed, because I think what the philosophy that's a heart at the heart of what's going on is called effective altruism. And that seems to me like one of the themes of Pluto and Aquarius, because what it is, is you don't you don't worry about doing good to the person that's in the street corner. You're going to game it out mathematically and figure out how can I best fund something that will give the better, the, the best, the, the most benefit to a whole group of people. So if you ever did work in an NGO, you will know, you know, and you know how working for nonprofits, sometimes they'll pick a very small kind of project and they'll and they'll try to try try to address this. This is a very different thing. It's like you really have to sit and think, okay, if my money can hire 20 doctors instead of one doctor, I'm going to go for the 20 doctors. And it doesn't matter. Like the one would be very particular. Now for me, I don't know, does that not sound to you like the the Aquarius Leo axis, the Aquarius being like the many and the Leo being, well, the individual. Totally. Okay. totally. I mean, I, you know, when you were talking about uh, uh, the Bentham character, it just popped into my mind immediately because that statement that he made sounds a lot like in the Star Trek movies, the line they gave Spock, Leonard Nimoy, right? And these people in in acting often end up doing the thing that their chart says they'll do as actors because that's the message to the world. And Leonard Nimoy was born in that 1931 period with Saturn, Uranus, and Pluto making a T-square. So the Uranus juts out. So he's got a tremendous Uranus near the sun because he's an Aries. So he's a Uranian character, obviously. And his, his statement was at a key moment, he said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. As he basically died in a in a room where there was nuclear nuclear explosion, and the captain was so upset. Why are you doing this? Because he said, "No, I'm not important. The the, the many are more important than the few." Very Aquarian that you're sacrificing the self, and yet the the uh, other side of Uranus can be that it enhances a person's individual power within a democracy. That's what democracy is: is the idea that everyone gets a say. Everyone has power, but the group is what is important. The group decides, right. not the individual. So yeah, uh, absolutely, Aquarius is is exactly that. Yes, and and I think there is a danger, and we're seeing it in all these, like you saw yesterday in Argentina, where they elected that lunatic, right? That there is a danger when you're invoking Aquarius that because this happens with polarity, right? That you'll invoke the very opposite, which is a Leo type. You know, a perfect example, of course, is Trump, who has Mars on, but Leo rising, Mars right on the ascendant, so he's a walking Mars. Uh, and then this guy seems as incredibly unhinged. I have not looked at have you? Well, ever, I have not looked at his at his chart, but he seems, you know, of, I, cut from the same cloth, right? Yeah, it is. Although I would not yet count Argentina as part of the uh, feeling that things are tilting toward the fascist way. Argentina has, first and foremost, a money problem. He can talk all he likes. He's going to have to figure out how to get the money situation. And no amount of conspiratorial thinking or insane thinking is going to help you with that. So I I await to see what this guy actually does versus what he said he was going to do because, you know, none of that makes any sense if he doesn't get the the money situation fixed. And it's going to be tough. 
Because oh no no I know oh I'm not saying he's going to get anything done I'm talking about the behavior he is already behavior yeah day one which is I'm going to jail all the the uh, the journalists who basically get them out of business who criticize me that's a very dangerous moment for any democracy so that's more what I'm speaking about but you know him like Victor Orban there's a whole bunch of them that seem to me very Leo like and one thing people should remember historically because he's going to be in the news big time again by the way is that what led after the French Revolution, what happened to France? Who who showed up? A total Leo character, which is Napoleon, right? You can't think of a more Leo type character than Napoleon. So I think those two always work. And I, it's interesting to me that a lot of the right wing in the United States, when I hear them speak, they really don't like democracy. They get upset by democracy. They say, well, we shouldn't have democracy. And so they're, I think, the type of people that would be much more open to a great man theory. I mean, the great man, of course, well, we can all laugh, but you can project that onto anybody, right? So that's more what I'm speaking about, that you can't really have the Aquarius without invoking the Leo. It's coming in, right, in one way or another. And so the more you talk about the group, the more the individual says, my rights, my rights, which is exactly what you're seeing right now. And I think it is going to be one of the stories that you're not going to be able to get away from in in the in in when that 20 year period where Pluto is in Aquarius. I will also note, and you've talked about this just recently, that China has a very early Aquarius ascendant as well. So you would see that some Pluto action is going to definitely affect China. There's no way out of it because yeah. it's again built on collectivist ideals, which is an Aquarius kind of idea, right? Yeah, that's totally true. And I, I just don't see though, when you look at historically the period since Uranus was discovered prior to Pluto, that actually is the demarcation of, that's when the U.S. is formed, for example. And since that point, in, you know, the Uranus to Gemini, Pluto to Aquarius, that's when democracies became the way the world governs itself by and large. Prior to that, kings and, and savages and, you know, uh, since then, the group uh, dominates. And I don't see how uh, you know, some people think, oh, it's all going to now turn into a, the whole planet will turn into this fascist regime. I, I don't see that. I see it as a, a struggle, but uh, going toward the the uh, um, the idea of the group continuing to be to be uh, more powerful than the individual. I don't necessarily see it as a struggle. I'm just saying that that will be what the group has to struggle against, perhaps. The, sure. the, this yes. idea of projecting all of this power onto often inadequate cartoon-like and very dangerous leaders yes. that will promise them, well, you know, I'll protect you from the big group. And, and all you're saying when you don't, we want protection from a group in a way is that I don't agree with that group's values. But, you know, in any democracy, hey, that's sometimes you're going to have to live through periods where the values are not your values. And, you know, exactly, yeah. welcome to maturity. Okay, so let's, let's look at this guy, because that's when I started thinking about this. And I know that we talked about, you and I have talked personally about, this guy is um, Samuel Bankman-Fried. I do think it's funny that his last name is Bankman. I mean, <laughs> could you make that up? <laughs> he basically started a huge currency exchange. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. um, for the people who haven't been following the story, he was the big uh, guy, it guy, that was being supported by a whole bunch of celebrities because he started this crypto exchange. And But at the same time, he also had his own private hedge fund. And it turned out that when they went to look, what was he doing? He was basically siphoning funds illegally from, from this cryptocurrency exchange to that. It's interesting because I read the Michael Lewis uh, biography that just came out about him. And one th a couple of things came out. And, and, and that's where I got interested in the idea of effective altruism because I thought, oh, this is that's what he practiced. This is he could convince people he was a good guy. And I guess in his mind, he is right, because he was giving his money to causes that were he, he considered very important. And, you know, he wasn't as much into the money as 
you know, a Jeff Bezos who's flying around and, you know, getting himself pictured on Vanity Fair. And that was not this guy's thing. This guy was really a techie. You know, he would be talking to people and playing video games. Definitely not a social guy, but he understood how how to get legitimacy in that world was to get celebrities to back you. And so he built this huge thing that all came really tumbling down. And what one thing that was interesting about it, I mean, I think Michael Lewis in this book is too close to a subject and maybe shows much more. Um, uh, he doesn't have the separation sometimes that I think you need, but a, a very interesting psychological profile is that he hated authority. <laughs> he just basically thought that anybody over 40 didn't understand the world and only him, you know, being a, a young guy in his, in his twenties could understand how things really worked. And this actually was his downfall. If you look at it archetypally, Saturn creates boundaries, it creates structures, it creates the limits that you, he didn't seem to understand that because his view is, well, you know, the older people don't understand what should be happening. And he did not listen to, to people that were giving him advice about you shouldn't be doing this and that. And so I was interested in that philosophy because he embodied it. So let's look at his chart disastrously he decided that he was not going to to do a deal with the with uh what you know when he was taken down and he he was going to show up and try to defend himself and he did a terrible job i mean just a terrible job the the uh the trial just ended and i think they found him guilty in about five hours and he's looking at decades in jail for what happened here you know um so and of course he's still facing civil suits and it's terrible um so let's look at his chart to see what could be going could be going on you notice again the 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 emphasis on Aquarius up there. So you could see why you'd be attracted to something like effective altruism, that there's something about the philosophy, especially because the ruler of his chart, Venus, is sitting in, in Aquarius, right? So um so immediately you think, mm, yeah, yeah, there's Aquarian ideas. The ascendant ruler, right? Yeah. yeah, the ascendant ruler. I'm sorry, what did I say? Yeah, the ruler of the yeah, yeah the, the ruler of the, when you say the ruler of the chart, it's the uh, ruler the of the ascendant. Ruler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ruler of the ascendant. So to me, this kind of makes sense that he would have been attracted to that and and uh and it's in the tenth house, so it's very much a high profile kind of uh kind of story. Um what do you see? We looked at this chart as well. What what struck you? Well, the Pluto Square. Pluto square Venus, yeah. Pluto square Venus. So, so a Pluto square. The, the problem with the problem with being young and uh, having a chart like this is that your perception of things is going to most more likely than someone that is older be more unconscious of what the outer planets are doing. Right. And so he is a bit of a fascist and a bit of a control freak without Pluto. But he thinks he's not doing that. He thinks that he's just doing what is correct and so forth. But when you play those games where you try to really control something and manipulate it, which is Plutonian as well, it can blow up. It can blow up. You know, you have to get it perfect and almost no one gets things perfectly. And yeah, he maneuvered himself into a into a horrible spot. Notice, by the way, that he this thing, when it, when it exploded for him, uh, the Uranus was squaring those those Aquarius planets, okay. which is telling you that he doesn't have a good control of that of that force. You know, even right. though he may think he does, the fact that you're arrested and charged, or even that everything fell apart essentially under right. those aspects, uh, and now it, the, the Uranus especially continues to to it's going to square his ascent or no conjoin his ascendant and and so forth. The other planet that has been really active is is Neptune. He has a Uranus. He's born in that Uranus-Neptune conjunction. So Neptune and at that age and self-delusion uh, go hand in hand, right? But right. probably for the for today's discussion, the most curious thing here is is the Pluto energy being wired 
so right. tightly to that to that Venus. Yeah. Right. Well, the 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 other interesting thing because Pluto Venus one manifestation, as you know, is relationships, right? And the person who did him in was his ex girlfriend, who basically did cooperate with uh, prosecutors and who revealed everything. She was running the hedge fund, the Alameda hedge fund. And she came out and she she made the deal and said, yes, he was behind all this because he was denying that he was doing a whole bunch of things which were legal fundamentally. And so it's interesting that it was Pluto Venus. And if you notice her, his seventh house is Mars world and it's conjunct Saturn. So <laughs> I would have, I would have been more careful. Right. Astrology, I would have said, hmm, maybe I would have been a little bit more careful in the way you dealt with the girlfriend. Yeah. But also the Pluto is in that house. The Pluto is part of that. Yeah. Yeah, so the, absolutely. absolutely. The, the girlfriend becomes... The Pluto, in that sense, yeah, yeah, the the agent of destruction, agent of destruction, yeah, <laughs> or the agent yeah. of truth. But but again, it's really interesting because these are representative of that. You know, I look at generations like in the '60s. A lot of us have Pluto Uranus conjunctions. Well, that generation had that Neptune Uranus conjunction, and they're kind of split. You can see, by the way, because remember that Uranus. If you're using it as a co-ruler, you can see that it has an affinity for all those Aquarius planets. And you can see that his philosophy was not about making money. He was very weird. He would hang out in these shorts and sit around playing video games. Like I said, he wasn't particularly interested in accumulation. He really wanted to give money away. That's why he was giving these ridiculous amounts of money um, to parties that he thought needed it. Uh, uh, but that kind of speaks to that Neptune Uranus in Capricorn, the idea that you're not really quite, I think this whole generation is not quite comfortable. You have to merge Neptune, the idea of compassion or a philosophy of giving. Hey, so. You know, I don't know the full story, but isn't yeah. it also true, though, that part of what he did is that might have been his over overview, but right. didn't he also spend a whole bunch of money that wasn't his? And didn't he also do that as well? He was well, that is, the, the money that he was spending was the one that he was giving to Alameda when when it got into trouble because he was playing around. See, if you read his biography, you you get a you get a sense that this is not a person who's materially driven. He's a a math geek who loves math problems. Okay, somebody quite astutely said that this boy could have really really benefited from not from math camp that his parents put him in when he was younger, but maybe having read a little bit of literature and a little bit of philosophy and a little bit of understanding beyond that very limited world he lived in. So he he's he's a person who basically basically is on the computer all the time. In fact, tellingly, Michael Lewis said he would suffer more. He would rather be poor uh, and locked up anywhere with a computer than now what's going to happen in jail, right? Because what's really going to hurt him is he won't have access to a computer. So very much a part of the world. But he was very early on taken on by this philosophy about effective altruism, which is, I think, at the heart. We'll talk a little bit more about it when we talk about Sam Altman, but, about but, the idea that you should be giving back. By the way, this is a great example of mm -hmm. how a, a really good transit is not exactly really good, depending on what's going on. The Jupiter in its chart, it's in Virgo. Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of connections to planets. It's not uh, especially very well wired to his Aquarius planets because that's that 150. It's not great. But notice that he got, got himself major hot water through the Jupiter, through his ascendant period, squaring all his Aquarius planets. So Jupiter there didn't solve the problem for him. It basically right. uh, engineered the, or was part of the, the downfall as well, right? So. Well, I would say that the Jupiter there made him hyperinflated about himself and about how he thought he was going to go into a courthouse and convince people sure. that he hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah. So I think if you have Jupiter on your Sunday, that is a tough one. I know, <laughs> I know, yeah. I, know I know a politician who thinks like that too. <laughs> I know. I'm going to wear my Jupiter now. I'll, I'll tell them what it is. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, well, this, oh, in this case, it was going through. Again, had he spoken to an astrologer, he might have said, you know, take the deal. Maybe talk to the prosecutors, help them out. Uh, so I think that would have been part of it. And as Jupiter 
is not a very helpful planet. It isn't detriment. It's not. It's not. You know, doing anything. Well, it opposes the sun too. So he's he's, yeah. he's going to you know the self inflation. But yeah. that, that's the point that particularly when you create a scenario like this, which is really really you know overamped, and you know a planet like that is going to bring all the things that don't work within the chart at a moment like this because the other planets will dominate. You know, the fact that the Uranus was really harsh, the Neptune is not in a good place because again he. That to me, he was doing at that point anyway, major self delusion around. Right, so, yeah, very delusional. I, I think yeah. it's also quite funny that this is a guy. Crypto seems to be an Aquarian thing, right? And he's got a Venus. He's got a Taurus rising, which I think is associated with money. And this is what he wanted. He wanted to create an exchange where all these people can can mm -hmm. um, uh, you know not be tracked. I mean, I think there's a lot of problem with cryptocurrency that hasn't really even been addressed yet. And also, by the way, we're going through Uranus, going through Taurus, so it's a time when people are thinking of new ways of. Uh, of new currencies, of new ways of, uh, but anyway, I think his chart is such a good example. I should go back to that that uh, conjunction that is operative for a lot of the young people who are both 30, 30, 34. I mean, Neptune conjunct Uranus is also Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's people that really do want yeah. to bring new systems. It's fantastic. But in this case, that was his idea, but the way he went about it was just completely corrupt. And part of it, and I, I really think if you read the book, that what the, the point was, and maybe this is a great argument for you need supporting support from Saturn. He just didn't get, he didn't understand how authority in Saturn should work, right? And so he just kept thinking, I am the authority. And no, you're not. That's the thing. I mean, you may not recognize, maybe if you're going to be 40, he would have realized, no, actually. Yeah, well, you know, Saturn in the 10th is notorious for delivering uh, social power later. It takes time. Saturn is a yeah. is a... Uh, delaying type of influence. Right. So right. the fact that he probably because when you talk about Aquarian energy and uh, the Uranus-Neptune conjunction up there in the sky like that, pretty elevated, which suggests er earlier success. But then the Saturn becomes a huge problem because he wasn't yeah. able to to manage it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely. So the the other chart we were going to look at is Sam Altman. We do not have a time of birth for him, but he's very much in the news right now. Head of OpenAI, kicked out by his own board. And from what we know right now, this whole effect of altruism comes back because it turns out that the board is a, non a nonprofit board that is trying to save humanity from AI. And Sam Altman is monetizing AI. You can see where the problems could, could come, right? Mm -hmm. um, somebody noted that I put this, the Mars there because the day of the Mars sun, Kazemi. So the Kazemi is when the, the Mars is right in the heart of the sun. And it hasn't happened in Scorpio since 1991. So it's not something that happens every day you note that it fell right where Saturn is, right? So I don't know his time of birth, but that suggests, and he's got Saturn opposite Mars at birth, right? So at the beginning, it looked really bad, but it actually looks like he's the winner in the end because they want him back. I mean, they got rid of him within two seconds. Uh, Microsoft came in, they put a lot of money into uh, uh, OpenAI. They're going, what the hell are you doing? And it seems now that it's the board that's going to have to resign. And again, we don't have his his uh, his uh, time of birth, so I can't really we can't really go into it a lot. I would notice all that uh, Taurus up there, and again, it's not in the tenth house because we don't know what house it would be in. But it seems to me that he is holding part of the story again, because again, it's brought up this philosophy of effective altruism and humanity. Concerned for, I think it is valid to say that we don't know what AI is going to to lead to, so we should be a little bit careful. But the forces of the market are fighting the forces of constraint. Um, and I don't know who's going to win here. But certainly in the first round, I think Sam Altman's going to win. That's what it looks like. 
And I don't know what that says about this whole story. I mean, are we we heading into a disaster? This one, you can see, though, that he's got a lot of allies in the transits because the Neptune is is helping him in his transit, uh, being in late Pisces, supporting the late uh, Taurus and and late uh, Scorpio, where Saturn is. And then Uranus. Uranus is squaring Taurus in Taurus, but it's, well, we don't know his birth time, but... It's in the, right now. It's not really touching anything all that much, but Pluto is fine because Pluto trines that Mars, so that's perfectly. And Jupiter's in his sign, and so if Jupiter's in your sign and pretty close to his Sun as well, it's not always a hundred percent guaranteed. But you've got pretty good odds that that the situation will tilt in your favor if something goes wrong. You know, which which is what it did. But but uh, yeah, I, I can see why he escaped the uh, guillotine. <laughs> Well, what's interesting because Jupiter is uh, will will station on December twenty ninth at yes, five, five degrees Taurus, so pretty close to that sun. So yeah. it's it's going to be helpful to him still. You do yeah. note though this power struggle. Look at look at that Pluto opposite the the uh, the sun at birth. So you yes. can see that this is probably not going to be the last power struggle. No, and, it and, it, huh. and it, next year, next year, and the year after, Pluto is in Aquarius, precisely uh, driving that opposition. So, and then by the time, especially by the time Jupiter gets out of Taurus into Gemini in uh, the middle of 24, there is, there's no Jupiter. And then that Pluto, yeah, it could be a problem. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is. And, and let's, I mean, you can't speculate, but I wonder if what is not going to happen is, you know, if the, and it's still very fluid. We really don't know. I'm going by Kara, what Kara Swisher and and um, the people, Professor Galloway, Scott Galloway, who are the people that have the most in on this. So we don't know how it's going to end up. But if it is, it turns out to be an argument between how, where is this technology heading? And should we be monetizing at that level? My worry is that Pluto's son that he brings in might reveal that he is hurrying too much and this is going to impact us all. It's not just going to be, because, you know, when Pluto goes into Aquarius, uh, that's going to be all of us. It's not just going to be him. So I look at charts that will be affected and he he is one of the charts that I'm noting will be affected by that Pluto ingress. Um, Very early, he'll get affected. Just like Apple has a very early ascendant. I mean, the Apple chart um, that when was released into the stock market has a three degree ascendant in Aquarius. Um, China has that early. So you're looking that already. Who might be affected yeah. by yeah. this this ingress? And those three just jump out at me. I don't know if you can think of any anybody or anything else, any entity that well, has a very early Aquarius rising. That, that's pretty big. Uh, the, what you've mentioned, uh, China, Apple, because they're early Aquarius rising. Uh, and and yeah, that, this guy, and you know, don't forget that when you've got Pluto situation, it's also prime territory. If you've been doing something dirty in the background of any other area, it could pop out on you and and become a huge problem and and take you out that way. So, yeah. but that he's likely to be in in the news and be a major force, yeah, because of that square, you know, right. for sure. Something yeah. will be happening. We don't know how. Um, it, it's interesting to me just when I looked at the Apple and the the China chart. I mean, you you located an earlier time, which makes sense. Um, but they're still close to the Apple ascendant yeah. is as well. You notice that Apple really had all their workforce. I mean, that who's making the computers, right? So when you look at this, you can't make this stuff up. It's like so completely tied uh, that you know that somehow their fate is is sealed together in some small orbit. Yeah, and by the way, to your point about the the polarity of Aquarius Leo and the push and pull between the the uh, 
having like an emperor, you know, Napoleon yeah. style, although that didn't succeed. I mean, he no. had his well, rod, he but, for a while there. Right, right. But, but China is a really great example of that because China is a sort of pseudo, it's not really a democracy. It's a, it's a communist system where communism in a way aligns with Aquarius as well. It's the people. It's just that it's pretending that they've got a strong central figure who made himself ruler for life. He decides everything. So they have that Napoleon figure running the place. I honestly think that that's not going to do well in this century. It's the opposite of what China thinks because Aquarius, in the end, is the technology that links people throughout the world. And we're not talking 1940 when you could hide things. Now it's so difficult. Yes, you can create fakes and all that, but then you can create counter programs to tell you that they're fake. I mean, it's a big problem when everything is being monitored everywhere. Good luck with that, you know, trying to keep people away from what is going on. And that, that's China's problem, as I see it. Oh, I agree. So I think that's one of the countries we want to be looking at uh, because Pluto's transformation, you're not going to leave. If it hits the ascendant, there's no way it's going to stay the same. So it'd be interesting to see what happens once once that hits. That's just one of the one of the ways I think you can learn about cycles is just look at what places or people have those planetary um, cycles activated at that time. Yes. And then, you know, things generally happen, right? So yeah, nothing, yeah. They always do. Right. They do. We like them not to, but sometimes they do. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I think that will be only one of the issues that will come up with Pluto and Aquarius, but I thought it was interesting to revisit it now because it is so highlighted. And to me, it seems like, yes, because it's moving back in there. It already showed up. I don't think this is the end of the story when it comes to um, to uh, to the Pluto and Aquarius. The, sorry, the, the open AI story. I think there's more to be found out and God knows what will come out. But I do think that looking back, that's why I thought Bentham, you know, this sounds like Bentham. And then I went and I looked at that chart and I thought, oh, my Lord, Aquarius all over the place. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, every sign has a shadow side. So the, the, the very positive part of Aquarius is that it is so incredibly capable of thinking of the humanity as a whole and not just me. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the shadow, that's the positive. The shadow side is that it tends to forget the individual sometimes. And in some cases, you do have to focus on the individual, not all cases, but, you know, you have to balance that out in some way or another. I will end by saying that, of course, as you know, my work is all around Jung's uh, archetypal theory. Jung was an Aquarius rising with Sun and Leo. I think he knew how to play that. That If you think about it, he was playing that, and he had Saturn and Aquarius, by the way. So he was really a strongly representing that dynamic in his own life, in his work. You can see it everywhere. He always talked about, do not forget the individual, because the individual is at the heart of the whole story. But at the same time, you got to weigh the whole, the whole thing. So anyway, fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. That's right. Fascinating indeed. Yeah. Okay, until next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about all of this, go to YouTube where you will find Andre's channel called Astrology Alert. He posts videos there almost daily. He also teaches classes through his Patreon account. You can find me at sophiacycles.com. If you want to support my work, I've recently released a new novel called Invocation, which you may find of interest. Go to my website to see a book trailer about it. It's available in all fine bookstores, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Finally, if you like this podcast, please rate it and leave a review so that others will find it as well.